Animal Farm by George Orwell, published in 1945, depicts an allegorical fairy tale of the Russian Revolution and Stalin's era of rule. As we continue reading, we will explore the allegory further while also comparing this story with other historical events. This is Analytical. Hello! Hello, hello! I'm Hannah. And I'm John. And we're your favorite literary nerds. So before we start the second half of Animal Farm, I would encourage all of you listeners to go and check out the first episode because this next episode will not make much sense without it. No, no sense at all. It will not make any sense without it. So without further ado, here is Chapter 6 of Animal Farm. Chapter 6, where we see they're working longer hours. They're working 60-hour weeks. They want to finish this windmill, which Napoleon has said was his idea from the get-go. And isn't he so cunning? He wanted to oppose it, which was a little bit of Chapter Five, but. Yeah, and in chapter five, we see that Napoleon's cunning was to him to oppose it and to, to snowball's face to run him out of town because he was evil all along. Obviously, Napoleon's lying, but it doesn't matter. The state media will say whatever it wants, and it's going to be right because who's there to prove him wrong? There's no other pig saying anything else. There's no other reporters reporting anything else. This is the only news source these animals are getting. Exactly. And then we see in these 60-hour weeks, they say it's voluntary, but then you get half rations. And you have a hard winter coming with less food, and the windmill is taking difficulties, and it's hard and slow work. And we already see Boxer overworked. And this is a really good foreshadowing as well, how mm -hmm. Boxer is so overworked, and we see him just working so hard. They are... He's just the working class being worked to the bone. The quote I want to use is, Nothing could have been achieved without Boxer, whose strength seemed equal to that of all the rest of the animals put together. Absolutely. You can substitute Boxer for working class right there in that sense. Nothing could have been achieved without the working class. Exactly. Ever. Oh, you know what else you could do? Nothing could have been achieved without slavery because we have built our this country on the backs of slaves. I and also they... think it's interesting because animals are seen as slaves in this book. Yes! So there's definitely that parallel. Yes! And how they aren't, you know, haven't been, like, paid for it or reparations mm -hmm. or anything. And, oh, my God, Mom's going to listen to this and think we're radicalized. We are radicalized. <laughs> Good, though. And then we see them start to trade with other farms, which they said they weren't going to do. Yes. Yeah, so if you remember those rules from earlier, the commandment. Uh, uh, um, let's see, guys. I don't know if it's in a commandment or not. I don't know if this is in a commandment, but I'm sure. But I know it was in old major speech that they were not to trade with other animals. Yeah. Or trade with humans. Whatever goes upon two legs as an enemy is, in, is a commandment. And I think that's good enough, close enough to saying you shouldn't trade with humans. Yes. I don't think you're supposed to trade with the enemy. And so they sell the eggs and they say the hens are going to welcome the that's sacrifice. Not yet. Well, it says they're going to okay. sell the eggs. And the hens will welcome the sacrifice. Which, again, is foreshadowing. And then we have four pigs voice the original rules that they are like, but we're not supposed to mess with these Yeah, humans. so we, we do see a little opposition rising up. But I think that's interesting because as soon as they start speaking up, the dogs silence them. Yes, not the dogs. This is the sheep. The sheep yes, silence Yes, 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 sorry. So we see again the sheep silencing them. Mm -hmm. And also, right after this, we get a little chapter about how the pigs start sleeping in the house. First, before we get there, yeah, yeah. I want to say they're going to visit this Mr. Wimper, very interesting name, and then we have Squealer, who is Gaslight Gatekeep girl bossing this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he is absolutely gaslighting these people, gatekeeping the milk and apples, and... I mean, he's not a girl, but, like, that's the that's the quote. <laughs> that is the quote. I agree. No, he definitely is gatekeep gaslighting girl boss. Yes! Love it. <laughs> and so, yes, now we see the pigs are living in the farmhouse, which, again, is directly against the resolution. Squealer again. Commandments. Yes. It's, it's against the commandments. And Clover actually has this idea. She asks Muriel. She says, because Clover can't read. She's a horse. Muriel's a goat. She has the ability. She says, hey, can you read me the command? What's it say? No animal shall sleep in a bed 
with sheets, she reads. Yes. It has been altered. And in fact, the with sheets is in italics. So I think we're supposed to understand that it looks different on the board. Yes. And then so we see Squealer again gaslighting where he's like, no, why, you guys sleep in a bed. Straw is a bed. And so it's, it's insane. Because this kind of mental gymnastics works with people. It does. It's a very good technique to use where people can justify anything. And as long as it kind of makes sense, and I don't even know if they like actually believe it, but as long as they like are inclined enough to want to believe it, they're going to. And then we see this again come through. There's a storm and it broke some of the windmill. But Napoleon instantly blames Snowball. How you see him go, oh, Snowball, if he ever comes back, there's a death sentence. And then you see pig footprints, which there's so many pigs on the farm. Well, right after Napoleon ran up there and, like, trampled all around. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's just kind of blaming it on Snowball, more that boogeymaning we see here, trying to create this ghost enemy in the minds of all these animals, trying to scare them into obedience. And you always just see that they have an enemy, and it's always a common enemy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's another good technique. Trying to, like, unite these animals against them and trying to keep them complacent and obedient to him. Because exactly. if they're united, they're scared. And if they're scared, they're not thinking properly. And if they're not thinking properly, they can't go against him. Exactly. It's... Such crazy gymnastics, and it works. And it works. That's the worst part. And so then we go into chapter seven. We see this cruel winter. They're worried what humans will say if they don't finish in time, and that they just think that humans are always against them, which, again, there's so many enemies they have. It is kind of funny because the humans are right in this instance, actually. They're like, you built the walls too thin, idiots. And I think Snowball would have built it right the first time, first of all. And I also think that... I think the animals are so dumb because they just... I understand it's a book and it's fake, but I just, how could they actually just like believe it? I just don't get it. But I'm just going to say there are humans who believe things. It's crazy. It really is. I just, I want to believe no one exists like this, but I know they do. That's what, that's what sucks the worst. And so then we see again, they're starving through the winter and the humans are inventing life about Animal Farm and they use Mr. Wimper to deny it. So they are literally interacting with a human and having him go and they're showing evidence that they have food, but they filled it with sand and have it covered with food to look full, and so he believes them. So, yeah, this is propaganda. They're trying to propagandize a human into thinking that they have full rations. And I actually saw this happen in the interview of that movie where the two reporters go to North Korea, you know? Yeah, they, the like, fake movie, but yes. Yes, the fake movie, yes. obviously. It's a real movie, but... Well, I mean, the fictional... Yes, fictional, yes, Korea. yes. It's a comedy. It's very good. It's funny. The first scene in North Korea, they go to, like, some supermarket that's been stocked, and there's a token fat kid in there to, like, prove, like, oh, hey, we're rich, too, you know? We have fat kids. I just think that's funny. Like, that's obviously happened in history, too. I bet they did this in the USSR also. 100%. Yeah. I totally see it. And then we see the end of January comes, and Napoleon rarely appeared during in public. Because he was always in the farmhouse, which was guarded by the dogs. And so I think, I don't know for sure, but I think this would be like Stalin living in the palace, Mm -hmm. which was guarded by the secret police. And they had said, we're never going to go in the palace. No one will live in the palace anymore. And then they did. I think you're right. And it's kind of like showing that, hey, like, we have a king again. Yes, exactly. And then he's escorted by six dogs at all times. Throughout all these hard times, the animals make a very tough decision. They have to get money. Napoleon makes the decision for everyone that they're going to start selling eggs. Obviously, the hens don't like this. They say it's kind of murder at this point if you take our eggs now because, you know, we're sitting on them. So they let us sit in, basically. A hunger strike, I would call it almost. And... Napoleon was very harsh. He said no one is to give a single grain of rice or grain of wheat, a grain of corn, I'm sorry, to those chickens. And nine chickens, I think, died throughout all this. Yes, and they called this, said it was cocodosis, cocodiosis, uh-huh. which is a parasite of the GI tract, which was spread by protozoa through feces. They weren't eating. Yep. It's, it's insane to me that that, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. But I did have to look that up, a little science bit. Is it, I think it's pronounced coxidosis, coxidiosis. 
It would be the two C's makes a, yeah. I'm really bad at pronouncing words. (laughs) It's all good. So then we see that they keep saying Snowball is hiding at Foxwood or Pinchfield. So that's, again, the boogeymanning. He's at either place that Napoleon doesn't want to do business with. Mm Mm-hmm. So the other one is always the enemy. Yes, there's a stack of wood that Napoleon has to make the decision to sell, and both farms want it. And he's trying to, like, play both sides. I don't actually understand why. Exactly. And then they say that they Snowball threw it down the well. He threw a key even after it was found. And so you just see that... Everything gets blamed on Snowball. Even whenever it's not always happening. More that boogeymaning, which is just ridiculous. And it works. Mental gymnastics. And then you see Squealer misconstrue the whole battle to Napoleon's favor. Snowball didn't plan it. He actually did leave. You see the animals questioning it. They're like, no, I was there. What happened? And, I mean, they don't question it that hard, but they do, like, oh, I remember that differently. Like, Boxer, I think, is the most vocal about it. He's like, no, I remember Snowball was there leading the charge. And then as soon as Squealer says no, he's like, ah, if Napoleon said it, it must, it must be, be right. right. Yep. And then we see Napoleon award himself a lot more medals. He's just assigning himself the first and second class, and, like, he's doing the best. And there's a certain name for him. Our leader, Comrade Napoleon. He's never just called Comrade Napoleon anymore. He's always called our leader. Or It's just so much titling that ceremony yeah they really are playing into it and so now we see some animals come forth it's those four pigs who have been going against napoleon from the get-go and we see napoleon sentence them to death in front of everyone and the three hens who had been the ringleaders and the attempted rebellion over the eggs and they said they disobeyed napoleon he kills them and he just has more and more people coming forward and confessing to these crimes that we haven't even heard about and they're probably not even real no they aren't real i mean these people are straight up saying they saw this in dreams like these people these ants there these animals are having dreams and they're just getting killed for it and napoleon Napoleon's gaslighting these animals into, like, getting executed by him. Exactly. And so then we see a pile of corpses at Napoleon's feet. And I think it's a really interesting quote to know that no animal had been killed this bad since Jones had left the farm. No animal had killed another animal, not even a rat. That is a very powerful quote. And I also want to go back to the Seven Commandments. The Sixth Commandment reads, No animal shall kill any other animal. And it's just... It's insane. And then you see all the other animals huddled together, and they're just in absolute shock. Mm-hmm. Boxer is trying to work through the mental gymnastics. His solution is to work harder. And I think that kind of really shows, like, what the working people were going through. They don't really have an option any of this. I think when they were going through this, they didn't have anything left to do except keep working. They saw people dying around, and they saw friends and family getting executed by the police force, the secret police force, and they had nothing to do except go to work the next morning. Exactly. It's insane. And then they sit and they sing Beast of England, but this time it's so much sadder. And then... We have Squealer come in who says, no, you cannot sing the song anymore. It's no longer needed. They have a new song that's Animal Farm, Animal Farm. Never through me shalt thou come to harm. So their Beast of England song that was a battle cry for them is gone. They've taken it away. It's no longer needed, Squealer says, because the rebellion's finished. Exactly. It's done. The rebellion's now completed. We, we won, Squealer is saying. He just announced victory. But that's not the vibe we're getting. The animals just sang a very solemn verse of, of Beast of England, and they've just been told they can't sing it anymore. The vibe is very down. The vibe is down tremendously. We're vibe checking. <laughs> and so now we go into chapter 8, and this is where they, the terror of the executions had died down. Someone remembered about the Sixth Commandment. Muriel read it, and it said, No animal shall kill any other animal without cause. So once again, we see the changing of the Ten Commandments, just how easy it is to force everyone's hand in this. I just, the mental gymnastics of this book, and I know I've been saying that a lot, because it just, it really amazes me how well Orwell is displaying it. I'm going to say Seven Commandments. You accidentally said ten there. Did I? Yeah, okay, the my bad. illusion. <laughs> got me. It really does. And it so, really does. And they, again, again, they're going to work harder than they had for the previous 
previous year to rebuild the windmill twice as thick and they're just trying so hard and they are working much harder than they ever did in Jones's day. And so this is again where you see that the working class under the czar didn't work as hard as they are now under Stalin. Mm -hmm. Stalin just kind of, I guess not Stalin, Napoleon came in and made them work harder than they were before Jones, but that's what we're supposed to see that Orwell thought Stalin did as well. I kind of want to take a moment out of the book for a minute and say that Orwell's kind of displaying these animals in a negative light. They're dumb. They're getting bamboozled here to the max. I think he's kind of making the comment that the people that were suffering under Stalin's rule, I'm not going to say victim blame exactly, but he's like, I think he's kind of putting some of the blame on the people. I think so too, but I think he also is saying that people need to be responsible for their own revolutions and that the people should have rose up against Stalin before Stalin got that powerful. I think you're exactly correct. What we're supposed to be getting through this book is the amazement. We're supposed to be getting the how are these people letting this happen? Because these people did let it happen. This is a historical event, guys. That is like, I'm just now getting this, putting this together. This is a very big moment for me. I'm going to say, whenever I was first reading this, I did text John and be like, whoa, this is about Russia. He said, yeah, Hannah, that's the allegory. I would like to stay. She said, I think this is about Russia. And I'm like, Hannah, it's literally an allegorical novel. Like, good work. Side note, you can catch that uh, <laughs> screenshot of that chat in our buy me a coffee. It is really good. And this is where we get Squealer, the media, coming in and saying that, no, 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 guys, everything's better. And he starts giving off figures. The figures have never been better. 200%, uh, 300%, or 500%, as the case might be. Everything's increased. Food stuff's up. And the animals were just like, yeah, for sure, numbers. And I think this quote's really powerful, too. All the same, there were days when they felt that they would sooner have had less figures and more food. Especially because they're selling this food now, too. Yeah. They're not even keeping it for themselves. I'm not sure about the history of it, but if Russia was more prosperous under the czar, if they had more money and more food even for themselves, where Stalin then had to rebuild a nation because he took it over, where he had to reestablish those lines of production and those cells and trades with other countries. Well, and also, I think it was beginning the idea that Stalin was doing this a lot less efficiently than the czar was before. The czar was actually had a working ship going. Hmm. <clears throat> I'm going to take that back. The Tsar was in a state of disrepair. Mr. Jones was failing as well. So I don't know, man. This is just two bad situations. Rock in a hard place we got here. Yes. And so I think, and again, how you said earlier, how Trotsky, not Trotsky, how Orwell maybe thought Trotsky could have done a better job. Yeah, for sure. I think we're definitely supposed to pick that up through this. And then we see again that Napoleon is not coming out in public, only ever like a fortnight. Takes his meals alone. Uh-huh. Like the Crown Derby dinner service. I thought that was funny. That he's eating on like... The fancy nice, place, yes. yeah. <laughs> and that the gun is fired another every year on his birthday as well. And then this is where we get the formal style of referring to him as our leader, Comrade Napoleon. Which would, which really makes you think of glorious leader, Kim Jong-un. Yes, and then you see, they always say, father of all animals, terror of mankind, protector of the sheepfold, which... Again, the sheep. <laughs> and then Duckling's friend. And so they always have to have... Like All 10 different titles. Exactly. Yeah. And then you yeah. see Squealer is crying while talking about him. Squealer plays his part very well in his defense. Like, he does this amazing. He really is the gate boss girl keep... Um, I said that wrong, didn't I? Gate, uh, gaslight gate, gate keep yes, girl boss. thank you, thank yes. you. He's the girl boss of this situation. And so then we see this Minimus, it's an artistic pig, come forward where he wrote this whole poem. It's like a three stanza poem with like 
seven lines in each one about how amazing Comrade Napoleon is. Mm -hmm. I want to state that this poem is a lot worse than the other song. The Beast of England is a great song. This poem, I'm not actually going to read it. I'm not really qualified to analyze this poem, but I didn't like it as much as I liked the poem or the song, but I read it as a poem of Beast of England. I thought Beast of England was much better. It rhymed better. Maybe I like four stanzas better than seven line stanzas, but I think this poem just works worse than the other one on purpose. Exactly. I do think it is very deliberate. I don't think Orwell wrote anything in this book that wasn't deliberate. No, no, no. He definitely did. Everything is deliberate, and it's amazing. And then we see Napoleon approved of this, and it's inscribed on the barn wall opposite the Seven Commandments. So that's how important Napoleon's holding himself. He holds himself just as high as the Seven Commandments. That was at 10. Yes, and this is where we see the pile of timber was to be sold. We talked about it earlier, but again, it's the other one is vilified who he doesn't want to work with. And there's three hens come forward again who had a plot to murder Napoleon, inspired by Snowball, and they're executed immediately. I would just like to say, I don't know how well three hens could murder a pig. Especially with his guard dogs following him around exactly. everywhere. Exactly, and I just think this is crazy, like, how much they are against themselves. And I think, again, it's something he does in 1984, where if you think against the government... Yeah, like thought crime, exactly. Exactly, and I think it's crazy how it's working. Mm -hmm. I really am looking at this book as, like, a pre-blueprint of what happens in 1984, so I think you're absolutely right there. It's a very good point you made. Uh, I like that he gets a younger pig named Pink Eye to taste his food before he eats it so he doesn't die from poisoning it. It's insane! Yes, like, I think 100% Stalin did that, which is exactly what a czar does. It's it, what a king exa does. Exactly, and I think that kind of is showing that he was scared. Exactly. And that, like, obviously he was scared. I mean, that's why he did all the executions, but he was super scared to the point where he was getting downright paranoid now. Yes, and then we see some people wanted to attack Pinchfield because the Pinchfield is against them and there's cruelties against Frederick's uh, animals. And so they think he's awful and they think they need to do rebellion. And then we see that they had their former slogan, Death to Humanity, and now it's Death to Frederick. They were forbidden to set foot anywhere on Foxwood, which is not Frederick's farm. Yep. And I just it's very important to note how tangled this all gets. Mm-hmm. I didn't even notice in my first read. The names of the farms just blend and, like, get all... Yeah, it's crazy. I also think it's important to note that the Death to Humanity thing... Remember that. It's very important. Just remember, Death to Humanity has been changed to Death to Frederick. And then we have another autumn harvest, and it was to be gathered almost the same time that the windmill was finished, and there's just so much going on. They're working so hard to do everything. The squealer's still lying about the numbers, you know, he's still like, the rations are up 500%, but of course nothing's up, everything's down. And so then, Napoleon comes out to see their completed work, and they named the mill Napoleon Mill. Which, I don't know if there's anything named after Stalin. I'm sure there was. Uh, wasn't that the whole city named after him? Oh, probably. Stalingrad? Oh! Isn't that a whole city? <laughs> oh. You know, guys, I'm not gonna lie, don't know much that much about USSR and Russia. Stalingrad. City and... Oh, it might be called something different now. Yes. Well, yes, of course it is now. Stalin's not there anymore. That they kind of... Doesn't matter. Well, they kind of had, like, the communist revolution later, where they kind Vol of got rid Volgograd. of... Volgograd. But they got rid of, like, that communist ideal. They're not, like, that bad anymore. They go by Russia now, not they USSR. They go by Russia now, okay. They got a whole new uh, makeover, gotcha. Yeah. They keep changing it. Uh-huh. Which, any Russian listeners, we still love you. <laughs> well, yeah. Do we, I don't think we have any Russian listeners. I don't speak Russian also. Da. <laughs> Sorry. Da. I, I think that's German. Oh, probably. Da. Is. Yeah, that is We do German. have German listeners. We do. We do. We know that one. Thank you, guys. You. We do love you. Uh, we love all our listeners. And then this is where we get this big old twist. Napoleon calls a assembly and he announces that they sold the wood to, drumroll, Frederick. The opposite guy. The guy that was literally like death to Frederick. 
And now they're death to Pillington because they found out that he's actually been hiding on Pinchfield, which is Frederick's farm. Yep. They've already confused it so much. They don't even know whose farm is who. It never mattered Napoleon, obviously. Like, if we're supposed to get that Napoleon was lying, Stalin was lying, these people were just lying and doing whatever they had to to remain in power. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they sell the timber, it's sold so fast, and they keep moving on. Wimper is deadly pale, he's running on his bicycle. And you see that he has rage for Napoleon. There's something crazy going on. Their banknotes were forgeries. Frederick got the timber for nothing. And you find out, no, it's back to that. It's back against Frederick and re good with Pillington. And it just goes back and forth so much. And then the next morning, the worst thing happens, an attack. The animals were at breakfast when the lookouts announced that Frederick and his men were on the farm. They already come through the gate. And they're drilling a hole into the windmill they're trying to destroy the windmill they came a lot more heavily armed and the animals couldn't even get close between the stinging pellets and the terrible explosions quote and they're going to pack blasting powder into that hole and so they're waiting they can't even get out there so fast and there's a deafening roar the windmill had ceased to exist so everything they've worked hard for this like five chapters is gone the animals have a little scuffle they do drive off the humans but the damage is done the windmill is gone the animals are victorious but at, At what, what cost? cost. Exactly. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then we see Squealer who has... Fire the gun. It's a victory, says... And Boxer's like, what victory? Boxer has suffered a loss. Boxer poured so much of his life, of what he had left in his life, into that mill for it to be blown up. For two years. He's worked... And he has worked harder than everyone else for these two years. No, he has worked, Hannah... Just as hard as everyone else put together for two, for two years. years. Why is it harder? Like, yeah, he's crazy. Put his blood, sweat, and tears uh -huh. into this, where he was getting up earlier, which we didn't really touch on earlier. But he was getting up an hour or two uh -huh. earlier and working late, as long as the light was there, or even without the light. Boxer was working. And I think that's definitely supposed to show Orwell had so much respect for the working class through this book. We see a hundred percent. That's why I think he was such a socialist. Oh, he wanted, for sure. Yeah. He said the workers are the ones doing it. They need to own the means of mm -hmm. production. But you know. Squeaker's like, it's a victory, we won, whatever. And after the victory, we see there's celebrations extending past two days, and this is when the pigs do some interesting things. They come upon a case of whiskey in the cellars of the farmhouse, and you see a half-ass nine Napoleon wearing an old bowler hat of Mr. Jones. And you see them taking all these things, and they are drinking, and they are wearing clothes, and... They are getting drunk. They just keep going. Mm -hmm. I like this line a lot. But in the morning, a deep silence hung over the farmhouse. After a night of rowdiness, these pigs feel like death. And I really, I love it because about nine o'clock, which is late for, especially for a farm life, Squealer made his appearance slowly and dejectedly. And he announces that Comrade Napoleon is dying. Yes, like, they're hungover. It's so funny. Oh, I love they're it. they're so dramatic. They are. Well, if you're a pig, never been hungover before, you know. And then they says... Comrade Napoleon had pronounced a solemn decree. The drinking of alcohol is to be punished by death. After they had just drank so much. And then by the evening, Napoleon was better. And he uh, had instructed his broker, Wimper, to go to the town and purchase a brewing. And distilling books. He wants booklets on how to do it himself. Uh-huh. I wanted to point out that Napoleon goes and finds a small paddock that was supposed to be for the retired animals. That that was the pasture set aside for those who were going to retire. And now he's going to sow it with barley. He's taking their grazing land for their retirement and using it to farm for alcohol now. Like, he's literally taking their promises. Yep. 
And then this is a very strange occurrence we get here. At about 11 o'clock at night, there's a loud crash heard in the barn. And there's a ladder on the ground and squealers there. With paint. Uh -huh. He has paint. He's right in front of the Seven Commandments. And then we see a few days later, Muriel is reading over the commandments herself. And no animal shall drink alcohol to excess. Another important note here is that Benjamin definitely knew. Because the quote here, none of the animals could form any idea as to what this meant except old Benjamin, who nodded his muzzle with a knowing air and seemed to understand but would say nothing. So Benjamin knows, but he doesn't want to tell anyone. He, exactly. The it's skeptic, It is the centrist. And I think Orwell definitely is saying that like the centrism is detrimental. Yes. And so now we go into chapter nine and we have Boxer has a split hoof and he's healing. And so he can't work as well. And he refuses to even take a day off, but he's not working as well because his hoof is hurting him. And we also talk briefly about Boxer's retirement, which is supposed to be the following year. Yes. Late summer of the following year. But he says a hero's lungs do not last forever is what Benjamin tells Boxer. So you see a lot of this foreshadowing coming. For sure. And then we see life is hard because the winter is so cold. They didn't get enough food. It's shorter. Rations are reduced except those of the pigs and the dogs. Yep. The pigs are living life large. And then a too rigid equality in rations, Squealer explained, would have been contrary to the principles of animalism. Which is literally not true! <laughs> yes, but what were the principles of animalism? It, exactly. 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 But... We they, do know. We do know. We do know what they had in mind, but like as soon as Snowball was ran out of town, it's it was gone. whatever Napoleon wanted. Exactly. That's what the that's what the concepts were. And it's always as a readjustment, never reduction. Yep. I like that quote a lot too. It's just so good. And he just keeps reading out these figures about how well they're doing, but no one like cares how well they're doing because they're not getting food. Mm-hmm. This is a really good one, too. Besides, in those days, they had been slaves, and now they were free. And that made all the difference, as Squealer did not fail to point out. Yep. And that's another thing, too. I think we can see even with our own history, where they're like, well, black people aren't slaves anymore. The U.S. should be happy. But they still aren't treated fairly. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting how much allegory is in this book. Mm-hmm. You're seeing the allegory. Orwell, that, Orwell didn't write it. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying, exactly, is that Orwell wrote such a timeless novel through this book. Yes. Orwell did such a good job writing this. The facts still hold true today. This book still holds true for the dangers of authoritarianism and totalitarianism. Tall. Totalitarianism. Yes, no, that word. Thank you. Totalitarianism. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I, I, I struggled. We struggle with words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Welcome to the analytical podcast. We can't pronounce words. They decide that Animal Farm is now a republic. The republic of Animal Farm. So they have to hold an election. There's one candidate. I'll give you one guess, guys. Yes, Napoleon's the president. And his first act as president or whatever. I don't know if he really had to wait to be president to do this. But he did, for whatever reason. Ceremonious, I guess. He was tired of being the glorious leader. He wanted to be president. Yes. Like everyone else has. Yeah. This is when he decides to reveal that Snowball was in league with Jones the entire time. Which they had kind of already said before. Squealer had said that before. That's how he convinced Boxer not to believe him. But now Napoleon is... has Outright uh, saying it. But we also... I think we skipped over a little bit. But pigs now have the privilege of wearing green ribbons on their tails on Sundays. Which they did not allow Molly to do. They were so against Molly doing that. But then again, Snowball lives and they change everything. In April... Mm -hmm. They had charged into battle with the words, long live humanity on his lips. And I just think that's the thing with the death to humanity. Yeah. That Snowball had changed it to long live humanity. And then we have Moses. Moses is like, what's up, y'all? I've been gone. Yeah, he just randomly comes back. And I think we're supposed to see through this that Moses is now siding with the current leadership, which is Stalin or Napoleon, rather. Kind of. I think it's just he comes back and he's Sugar Candy Mountain. And he's like up there, comrades. I think he's supposed to be a symbol of death. 
You do? I do. Okay, I can see that for sure. Definitely because ravens are just symbols of death in general. Yes. Blackbirds. But also, I really think it is supposed to tie into that he's trying to use more religion as a tool of control. Yes, but then the attitude of the pigs towards Moses. They said his stories about Sugar Candy Mountain were lies. But they still tolerated him. That's true. Important to note. It is important to note. It's very interesting. It is very interesting, to say the least. And so then we see there's a schoolhouse for the young pigs. Boxer is still just overworking while these pigs that are young and healthy are being taught. And it's just a very interesting thing to see. This quote is very interesting to me. After his hoof had healed up, Boxer worked harder than ever. Just like you were saying. Indeed, all the animals worked like slaves that year. And Orwell does not use that phrase lightly. Exactly. He is showing that they are still slaves. Yep. And he's just, I will work harder and he's just keep going. But Clover and Benjamin are telling him to take care of himself, but he doesn't care. His 12th birthday was approaching. That's his time for retirement. But he didn't care. Kept working. He just kept and working. And then he collapsed on the job. And Boxer has fallen. He is lying on his side and can't get up. Which, so, so horses do sleep laying down because people always think they're dead. But he was unable to even raise his head. His eyes were glazed. His sides matted with sweat. Yes, this is a very sad moment, to say the least. I, I don't know if I cried, but it was very sad for me. It is my lung, said Boxer in a weak voice. It does not matter. I think you will be able to finish the windmill without me. It gets ya. It really and does. And he's still just dependable boxer. Gosh dang it. The guy just wants to finish the windmill. That is his, his second word. It's, it's my long, I'm afraid you'll be able to finish the windmill without me. The second thing he says to someone that comes to meet him. Exactly. His biggest concern is the prosperity of Animal Farm. And then all the animals run back to tell Squealer. Then they have to make arrangements to send Boxer to a hospital at Wilmington. Willingdon, my bad. So Boxer stays in his room for the next couple days. Two days later, after his accident, everyone else is working while the cart, while the hospital cart comes to pick up Boxer. So goodbye, Boxer, goodbye. And then you see Benjamin. Fools, fools, shouted Benjamin, prancing around them and stamping the earth with his small hooves. Fools, do you not see what is written on the side of that van? And Muriel began to spell the words out, but Benjamin pushed her aside. In the midst of a deadly silence, he read... Alfred Simmons, horse slaughterer and glue boiler, Willingdon, dealer in hides and bone meal, kennel supplied. Do you not understand what that means? They are taking Boxer to the knackers, which just absolutely wrecks me. Oh. And so a cry of horror bursts up for the animals. They try to knock over the cart, but they fail. And then Squealer comes out and says, no, 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 you misunderstand, guys. He's fine. They just bought the cart and the hospital owns it now and it's theirs. But obviously this is a lie. This is just a lie. And I... It's really sad, guys. It really does. It really gets you. And it's just, it's incredibly awful, like, how they just get rid of him once he can't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And it literally shows you what they do to slaves when yep. they can't work anymore. Yep. Squealer says that he died at the hospital. Obviously, this is a lie, but this is what the animals are led to believe. I doubt Benjamin believes it, however. I don't even think Muriel believes it. Yeah. And then we move on into our final chapter. Chapter 10. There's a bit of a time jump between 9 and 10. The narrative in 10 is different as well from the rest of the book, I believe. Yes. And so years have passed, and it shows that Muriel has died. Actually, we'll just say the ones who are alive, who remember the old days. There's Clover, Benjamin, and Moses, and some of the pigs. Everyone else has died or don't remember anymore. Snowball was forgotten. Boxer was forgotten, except for by the few who had known him, which again is so sad. So sad. Clover was an old stout maid now. Mayor, sorry. Still stiff in the joints with a tendency to roomy eyes. Only old Benjamin was the same as ever, but he's always been the same. Uh -huh. Like again, donkeys live a long time. They what do. He said. And so now there's many more creatures. And so you see a lot more born to the rebellion who know the whole whole story, I say with quotes, that they have only ever known this. And so this is just the life they know. 
The farm has three other horses, and they're fine upstanding beasts willing to work, and good comrades, but very stupid. And the farm is prosperous. There's electricity, dynamos would be installed on the windmill, on the, uh, yet another windmill. Napoleon had denounced ideas as contrary to the fear of animalism of the three-day work week that Snowball was talking about in the beginning. He says that, you know, the truest happiness, he said, Napoleon, lay in working hard and living frugally, which he does not! No, and it, I, that's another thing I think we saw with the USSR, where the working class, they were like, oh yeah, we were going to work less. No, it's like, you want to work hard and you want to live cheaply you yep. want to live saving your money and not buying all these unnecessities that he uses Wheeler says they had to use files and reports minutes and memoranda and so they're doing paper their paperwork they were doing just as much work as everyone else it was just different work no, he it's was white saying. collar work yeah exactly it's just it, it's CEOs it is CEOs if nothing else this book is about a class struggle from the very beginning, we have seen the pigs hold themselves in a higher regard than all the other animals. They have been given special treatment the entire time. They are the upper class. They chased the humans out with everyone else's help, and then they rose up as a dominant socioeconomic class. And yet, the animals never gave up hope. They always had honor and privilege in being members of Animal Farm. They were the only farm in the whole country, in all England, owned and operated by animals. And everyone was never ceased to marvel at that. And that's just such a, another thing where it's like they were so proud of where they were from, yet it was so awful. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're right. It's so awful. But it, it was not from feeding tyrannical human beings if they went hungry. Exactly. It was their own work. They were taking pride because it was their own, which is so like... So you're not feeding a tyrannical king. Yeah. You're feeding your own kind. Exactly. But what is... Napoleon, and this is what we see next, and we see... Yes, at the very next, we get this. There's a special assembly, Squealer calls all these sheep, they lead in, and then... Squealer is walking on his hind legs, and then we see Napoleon, majestically upright, with a whip in his trotter. And that is just such another strong line of how tyrannical he has that become. That is an entire paragraph, in fact, I just want to point out. He carried a whip in his trotter is an entire paragraph. And I would just like to point out that Orwell doesn't really indent and make paragraphs a lot. There's been two pages full of just one paragraph, and yet he made this line stand out. The same with one above it. Well, it was a pig walking on his hind legs. Mm -hmm. He emphasized these points. We are supposed to understand this is... This is it. This is it. Yes. And so then they said, there's a deadly silence. They just keep walking. And then there's a whole other paragraph. And then it's four legs good, two legs better. The sheep start bleeding that out. They are training for this forever. Four legs good, two legs better. They keep cheating that out. And if you remember the commandment. What goes upon four legs is good, two legs bad. And mm -hmm. that's what the sheep had said before. That used to be their mantra. And so then... We see Benjamin going down. It's Clover. She says, my sight is failing. I used to be able, but I could not have read it. But what does it say? And so now there's no other commandments. And I, I want to note that this is the first time Benjamin has read, except for when he... Uh... Red, Red out boxers. Red boxers cart. Exactly. This is the only other time Benjamin has conceded to read anything. Yes. And the single commandment now reads, all animals are equal. But some animals are more equal than others. Which is just the most profound thing I've read ever in a book almost. Honestly, it really just encompasses what this whole book becomes about. Mm -hmm. It is literally the theme of this book. Of all are equal, but some are more equal than others. And then this is just the new normal. The animals just used to seeing pigs walking around now. That's just there. Napoleon himself appearing in a black coat, rat catcher breeches, and leather leggings. While his favorite sow appeared in the watered silk dress which Mrs. Jones had been used to wear on Sundays. 
He got himself a girl. He did get himself a girl. I like that they specified favorite. So like. Yes, he has yeah, multiple women. He has a little and also, Sal is a female pig. Yes. Who has given birth. Fun. So we know that, yes. Which, is, again, they're still trying to be realistic of its animals. It's yes. very interesting. Mm-hmm. And so then they see that they've been playing cards with Mr. Pillington of Foxwood. And so they're with animals and they have giving toast. And, you know, was the labor problem not the same everywhere? And it just keeps going. And there's so much. Yeah, so we, we get this, this very profound last scene at the table where the animals know something happening at the farmhouse garden. They pause at the gate and they tiptoe up to the house and the tall enough animals peer in and they see that humans and pigs alike are sitting at this table. Mr. Pilkington, that's a weird name, is there. As is Mr. Frederick. They're both there. Mr. Pilkington of Foxwood was giving a toast at this very moment. He was saying that Animal Farm was such a fine farm and that they had no reason why they were fighting ever because seeing it himself, he could see this was a farm of perfect repute and there was no reason for it to be considered anything else. And then, for the first time announcing that the name Animal Farm had been abolished, Henceforward, the farm would be known as the Manor Farm, which he believed was its correct and original name. Mm-hmm. To the prosperity of the Manor Farm. Napoleon gives this toast to the, the, the men and the other pigs, and they cheer, and we get this very profound paragraph. And it's with Clover, whose eyes we'd known had been failing. And I'm just going to read a lot of it, because it really is so profound. Clover's old dim eyes flitted from one face to another. Some of them had five chins, some had four, some had three. But what was it that seemed to be melting and changing? Then, the applause having come to an end, the company took up their cards and continued the game that had been interrupted, and the animals crept silently away. And they go back, because they hear an uproar of voices, because apparently Napoleon and Mr. Pillington had played an ace of spades simultaneously. This is the very last paragraph of the book. I'm just going to read it because I, I want to get the whole effect. Twelve voices were shouting in anger, and they were all alike. No question now what had happened to the faces of the pigs. The creatures outside looked from pig to man and from man to pig, and from pig to man again, but already it was impossible to say which was which. And that is how he ends the book. And I think that is just so profound, where the pigs become humans. That's the whole point of it. Mm-hmm. Where Stalin had become his enemy. Stalin he... had become the very thing he swore to destroy. Yes, exactly. exactly. That is the very point of this book, was to speak out against that. But it also holds true the timeless tale of injustices we still see today. Exactly. I think that's why it's just such a good book that has been studied and anthologized and retold so many times. I think it's just such a good one. And that's why this episode is like over an hour. Yeah. But I think it's just so important to know that these forewords and prefaces that we had before always point out that line of all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Yes, there are some really good lines in this one, but if you remember nothing else, that's the one to remember. That quote right there. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. And it's just, it's a perfect demonstration of the way words are twisted in a way to make anyone believe what anyone wants them to believe. And it just demonstrates it perfectly in such a concise way. Orwell really is a genius with his writing. It can't just be applied to the Russian Revolution. Mm-hmm. It can be applied to... Yes, exactly. White people are better, but exactly. we're equal. Like, exactly. the separate but equal. And like... Exactly. 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 This ever but equal. Exactly. That's the best uh, comparison you could have made. And this was like 1945, mm-hmm. so like before the civil rights. Exactly. Movement. And it's just insane how well Orwell, not new, but like could write something so well that really encompasses so many of human struggles. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the reason this book is so heavily anthologized and read and studied, because it's a timeless tale that analyzers are still getting into and. Realizing there's still more to be found and studied and discovered today. You know, the word's analyst, and you've done this in another episode. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. But I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. It's such a good book. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you think. You know, maybe you find some other metaphors in there that are better than ours. (laughs) I'm sure you will. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time when we read Of Mice and Men. Hopefully sooner. By John Steinbeck. Bye. Analytical is created, hosted, and produced by Hannah and John Newland. It is edited by John Newland. The artwork was created by Hannah Newland using Logo Maker and is owned by Hannah and John Newland. The theme music you're jamming to now is created by John Bartman, and you can check out more of his work at his website, johnbartman.com. Web design is by Hannah Newland, and you can find us at analyticalpod.wixsite.com analytical. And you can find that link in the description. All our social pages are at analyticalpod, and you can email us at analyticalpod at gmail.com to reach out and discuss your thoughts on this episode, to chat about literature, or life. Please rate and review us and subscribe to our podcast. And tell your friends. It will help other people find and enjoy as well. Thanks for listening.